0: It is a it is a WrestleMania special on the Daily Wrestling News Show Hit
1: it That's what I'm talking about. Wait
0: Okay now from the beginning this is a special edition of the daily wrestling new show new show <laughs> for the week i'm on vacation my name is ryan joy and i'm coming to you from minutes to bell time studio on the beautiful treasure coast of the sunshine state but it is not live this is a taped episode and i'm joined today by the man who chose wrestlemania 24 as his favorite wrestlemania travis how are you today
1: i'm doing well thanks for having me on as part of this uh, robust series i can't wait to talk
0: some mania absolutely And if I can try to not stumble over my words, I've already done one show today, so the words are tripping me up. Uh Today's agenda, we have the WrestleMania question of the day, we have trivia, we're going to do a full breakdown on WrestleMania 24, and at the end, we'll decide if the show holds up to today's standards. Trivia, I didn't sign up for that. Yeah, you're going to have to do it. (laughs) All right, let me ring the bell. All right, Travis, what's your earliest memory of WrestleMania? Actually,
1: WrestleMania 1. Yeah, I'm that old. Uh, Believe it or not, actually, I think I watched WrestleMania 1 taped with your father, my stepfather, at your father's friend Brian Pollock's house, actually, in the basement. Yep, way, way back when he had his archery stuff going on in that house down Route 40. Um, I think we all sat around on the couch down there in the basement and watched WrestleMania one. Yep, yeah, it was taped. It wasn't live. It wasn't like anybody had bought it. So it was after the fact, but yep, I believe that was my first WrestleMania viewing.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. Four is the first one I remember. Um, and I was watching that on tape. So that's yeah. very interesting. I never heard that story before. So that's, interesting. Well, there you go. Yeah. huh. All right. So, uh, it's trivia time already early in the show we get right into trivia and it's all going to be wrestlemania 24 trivia so i feel like you got a good chance because you recently watched the show but i have to pull some obscurities out to try to get you know stump you a little bit so i'm ready to go what brand of golf cart did snoop dogg ride to the ring on mercedes-benz it was a mercedes-benz yes Uh all right so question one in the books you're one for one you get five questions if you get three right, you're gonna get the Goldberg Bergasca. Hooray. So which is kind of bad. They're not they're not the, the biggest winners at WrestleMania, but you know. No. Who did Kane last eliminate in the pre show Battle Royal to earn his ECW title match against Chavo Guerrero? Oh
1: gosh. I didn't even watch the dark segment of
0: that. They replayed it right before the match. Oh, not did the, they? Not the whole the ending sequence.
1: Well, I coughed and I missed the match. So I don't know. Let's say
0: Alberto De Rio. It was Mark Henry.
1: Okay. Mark Henry.
0: Yep. What did edge lose at WrestleMania six? And you've got multiple choice. It was either his toy WWF championship belt, B his innocence, C his ticket or D a match. This is at WrestleMania six.
1: What did he lose? So he was there.
0: Um, his, his championship belt, his innocence. His innocence. Yes, it was his innocence. Part of his promo, uh, talking about the Undertaker, was about how his big hero was Hulk Hogan, mm-hmm. and Hulk Hogan lost, and mm-hmm. I lost my innocence. And yada yada. It happens. Yep. Okay, so how many current WWE Hall of Famers competed on the show? And your choices are one, four, seven, or ten. Hall of Famers, huh?
1: one four seven
0: or ten i'm gonna say four it's seven Is jbl that... batista um... edge beth phoenix triple h sean michaels and rick flair also on the share the show was howard finkel jim ross jerry the king lawler and snoop dog so lots of lots of hall of famers but seven competed and what percentage of wwe fans predicted that randy orton would win the triple threat match was it 52 40 or eight no 52
1: was how many they predicted for triple h 40 was john cena and they predicted eight for randy orton to retain and when i watched that with my friends live they were really ribbing me on that one. Well, it doesn't look like Randy's got a shot here. I didn't feel great about it either. <laughs>
0: oh, God. It sounds like 90% of people didn't think he had a shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you went three for five, so that's good. So I'm going to give you the Oscar award. Not oh, a sound that's... you always hear. So that's no, great. rare. It's a rare <laughs> thing. All right, so let's talk about WrestleMania 24, March 30th, 2008. is a nine match show from the Citrus Bowl in Orlando, Florida. The top titles from each brand were the only ones defended on the show. No tag titles, no Intercontinental Championships, no U.S. Championship, no Divas Championship. John Legend sings "The America the Beautiful." We've got Lillian Garcia. We got Justin Roberts splitting announce duties. Howard Finkel makes a cameo. Great show. Good team. Lined up: Taz, Joey Styles, Michael Cole, John Coachman, Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler, calling the action. So uh, that's the that's the team that we have assembled, Travis, for what is a great show. When you look back at it,
1: oh, I think it's uh, top to bottom, it's phenomenal. I know I got a whole ton of people that'll give me the WrestleMania 17, but there's a reason why I'm doing 24, and we'll go through it all. But I think there there's only real one standout flaw, if you could say that, and it's just where they were at that time with the women's division is not my favorite part of this show. Um, but outside of that, there's,
0: you get everything, you get everything you want. That same day on March 30th, WWE released a statement saying that, but they set both an attendance and ticket sales record at WrestleMania 24 at the Florida citrus bowl in Orlando. WWE grossed more than $5.85 million in ticket sales, making it the highest grossing live event in WWE history at the time and in the history of the Citrus Bowl. WWE set an attendance record for the Citrus Bowl with 74,635 fans from all 50 states, five Canadian provinces, and 21 countries attending WWE's annual Pop Culture Spectacular. Now, the interesting thing on this is all that's fact. I have heard that they were giving away tickets like crazy, though. (laughs) Oh, sure.
1: They probably papered the area. Not uncommon back then to kind of do that, especially in that with the size of that arena and that half mile runway to get down to the ring that they had set up there. If that place wasn't packed, it would look really, really poor. And as an outside show, I think it was only their second outside mania at that time, Um yeah, it wouldn't have looked great. Um, the ring setup was neat, though. You had kind of that overhead canopy that was there just in case you got some rain, um, and they did have some, some technical difficulties midway through the show too. Um, but yeah, I, I could have, I probably could have gone without the one mile. Uh, yeah. You know when Melina rolls out her carpet and it doesn't even get her off the top of the first thing, and that usually gets her to the ring. You know you've got some issues as far as getting there. And Charles Robinson, he had to get on his horse too. So he did.
0: Yes. So on on this show, I have pulled a lot of quotes from uh, Brian Alvarez from Figure Four Weekly, his newsletter at the time. Uh, he wrote at length about this WrestleMania. Um, and Figure Four Weekly is a letter named for Ric Flair's finishing move so uh, it feels kind of appropriate to pull from him i also have some wade keller stuff in here so i'd like to have some analyst from the time to kind of help uh ground us because we look back with nostalgia and just to kind of see what they were thinking at that time yep makes sense all right. Before we dive in, any other like opening remarks you want to make before about WrestleMania 24? So just touching on the belts a little bit, it's it's interesting that yeah the only belts that we saw
1: used were the were the two mains, but we we are going to see a bunch of the people with belts in the match. The challenge with that is, and maybe this is where some of Cody's irritation kind of jumped in. He had belts with Hardcore Holly, and neither one of them were represented in this show. So. You know maybe some early salt from cody was kind of getting in on this mania
0: yeah perhaps they did have the ecw championship represented so you had you had the wwe the world and the ecw mm-hmm. championship got a little uh, a little bit of screen time right so, so um okay well we start with the belfast brawl it's jbl versus finley uh, this comes after J, uh, jbl's long run as, as champion from of 4 to april 05 he arrives in his long horn limousine. Finley comes out with horn swoggle, which recently revealed at the time was his son, it was not Vince McMahon.
1: Yeah, we all thought it was Vince's for a while there. Um, <laughs> the interesting part about JBL coming in is he comes in and he's got the big cowboy hat on and he's got the long stretched limo with the boss hog horns on the front of it. And they announce him from New York City. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh jbl would win the match with a clothesline from hell uh jr said it was a bar fight but no happy hour (laughs) yeah exactly
1: um you know you had you had all of your standard uh every gimmick you could think of for like a hardcore type match was out there no blood um i mean there was a shillelagh in the ring we had you know cookie sheets and all kinds of different garbage can lids and whatnot um a, a, a fine opener, right? Like, yeah. um, you know, this isn't going to be a, a, a Meltzer five-star Tokido match, but that's not what you're going to get on an opener like this. But I thought overall, I mean, Finley's probably one of the underrated workers out there. Um, he works hard and he worked hard in
0: this match too. And, you know, I, th- I thought it was a good, it was a nice start to it. Alvarez says Swaggle was shown weeping at ringside. His father having been beaten at his own game. The lesson to be learned here, children, is that bullies always prevail. Two and a half stars.
1: Two and a half so, stars. Okay, that's that's probably about right. I thought there was an interesting spot when JBL chucked the can at Swoggle and he had to jump underneath the side of the ring and was a little scared. So um Yeah.
0: Like you said, it was as a fun opener and I and I think with what they had to plan for the show, they had to temper it a little bit because you had plenty you had hardcore matches, you had ladder matches, you had all that kind of stuff coming up. So you don't want to um, you don't want to have the best match of the night on the opener in the open right this
1: this opener. match in any other mania i think where if, if you had a mania where you had goldberg or you had lesnar or you had undertaker in the middle of the card this would be a match that would follow those yeah because the crowd gets so hyped for that match that you're not going to get a big pop on the second match and this would be a match that would kind of soft cover that but they didn't have anything like that on this show so
0: Undertaker was at the end that JBL's music, though, I think that that just kind of puts you in a, a certain space, doesn't it, when you hear that?
1: Yeah, it, it, and it's hard for me not to think of uh, Eddie Guerrero when I think of JBL because I think those two were both at the top of their games at the time, and their feuds were pretty significant at the time. And, you know, Eddie's obviously cut himself pretty well in one match and stuff. And, uh, yeah, every time I think of JBL's run, I think Eddie Guerrero during that time because they were definitely both at the top of the mountain at that
0: time. Absolutely. So we go from the Belfast Brawl match number two is the money in the bank ladder match now before the match our wrestlemania host kim kardashian she introduces wrestlemania she talks about the money in the bank ladder match and then she gets a visit from mr kennedy 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 (laughs) he comes by to say that he's going to win the match of course the match is john morrison carlito shelton benjamin cm punk kennedy jericho and mvp and if you're paying attention only CM Punk and Mr. Kennedy weren't on Raw or Dynamite in the last two weeks.
1: Yeah, it's so topical, you know, going back and checking this ladder match out before we we did the show. Um, the interesting part about Kim Kardashian, too, is she's in the middle of taping season two of keeping up with the Kardashians. So she wasn't at the time, the mega star that she is now. So good insight on WWE to take somebody that was kind of in the pop culture zeitgeist at the time. And let's get them out there in front of let's, let's see what we can do as far as presentation. Um, So it was a smart, smart choice that way. Um, And yeah, this, if it's not the best ladder match I've ever seen, it's real, real close. I mean, we got to see um, Young Bucks versus Lucha, Lucha Brothers, and that was the biggest car crash I've ever seen. Yes. As far as a complete match that had the old school fix ins of your first, you know, Razor Ramon Shawn Michaels type match with the high flying spots as well, it just top to bottom was just a treat, actually. And, and the performers in it were all
0: it, just absolutely insane. It's a great list. All top athletes that's why they can all still go today
1: yeah and they're dragging they're dragging belts down you know jericho's got the ic title morrison's part of a tag team champ mvp's a u.s champ at that time so like they put a bunch of champs into a a a ladder match for a title shot um you know this is before money in the bank was kind of its own pay-per-view or its own idea and stuff um but, yeah, just some crazy spots. I mean, Morrison, two minutes into the match, opens up with a a, a moonsault with a ladder in his hand to the guys on the floor. Um, Shelton probably had the craziest spot of the night. He was off the – it's probably a 20-foot ladder in the middle of the ring. He gets bumped off of it, and he swan dives through a ladder that's attached to the apron and the, and the railing, and he goes through that. We don't see Shelton for the rest of the match, but, like, you know what, kid? You did
0: enough right there in that spot, so <laughs> – Matt Hardy did a run in, you know, yep. he, he was, had not been seen for a long time and he came out and and prevented MVP from winning. Uh don't forget Chris Jericho got the Lion Tamer on on top of the ladder. <laughs> so he had Boston yeah. On a ladder. He's
1: Boston Crabbing in the middle of the ring on the ladder with I think it was Morrison he had up there. Um the, the the run-in from Hardy was relevant because MVP had injured him to set him out for, I think they said, five months at the time. Um, so that made a whole ton of a sense. Um, and, and there were so many times when people had the belt in their hands or were close to the belt and stuff like that, and it could have gone a million
0: different ways. Yep. But ultimately, CM Punk got the W. Uh, he tied Jericho's legs up in the ladder. Then he climbed up and got the win. Um, Brian Alvarez said three and three-quarter stars. Uh, very good match.
1: Yeah, I think Brian's probably being a little bit critical there. Um, So we've got Punk, who wins the match, who gets himself a shot. Um, He had just previously lost the ECW title to Chavo. Um, He's eventually going to be edge for the Raw title. Uh, He's going to be edge for the title on Raw. And then later that year, he's going to also get the the tag belts with Kofi. So this is a really big spotlight year for CM Punk that we're moving into and this match kind of starts that platform and that run of making him more of a mainstay important character on the roster
0: for sure for sure he definitely kind of takes off from here um, the next thing we do is we talk about Hall of Fame on the show um, Howard Finkel introduces all of the Hall of Famers in this year's class uh, 2008 we have Gordon Soley May Young jack and jerry briscoe eddie graham rocky johnson peter maravia and the headliner of course rick flair uh during the the announcement that finkel made though rick flair's children were there to stand in for him because he was competing a little later in the show it's one of the first looks really at ashley who would become charlotte and one of our last looks at reed who would tragically pass away
1: yeah so uh, you know we get the flair kids out there and three of them have, have taken runs in the ring. Reed Reed had some time when he's in the ring. David had a short stint in WCW where if you go back and you take a look at it, Hulk Hogan beats that kid, like a government mule with a belt. And during an NWO run, which I know Rick wasn't real thrilled about when it happened, but yeah, we get, we get Ashley flair out there. Um, so she's five years removed from her debut at this point. And I think I had listened to her say before that it was after this match when she really made the decision in her head, you know what, this is something that I want to start working towards. And this is something that I want to do, you know, after watching everything that her dad kind of goes through.
0: Um, paired, it was paired with her brother's passing. Cause this was right.
1: Like dream. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I, there's an amount of me that appreciates the fact that they put, rick into the hall here there's also an amount of me that dislikes the foreshadowing like especially given the way the match goes with him and sean which we'll we'll talk about later it would have been like this is one of the rare times when i would when i wish the hall of fame was after mania and it wasn't part of mania weekend or it was its own kind of thing like you know i i I wish the hall of fame was actually a pay-per-view where we, we introduce the hall of fame members and we have matches that are kind of slotted based on what they sort of did. And we have some callbacks to some of their moves with the, with the current roster and things like that. I think there's a, there's a missed opportunity there. Um, but it, but a nice class. Um, you know, I didn't have an issue with the class at all a little bit. You had a little bit of everything too.
0: You did. Yeah. The rock did the introductions, uh, the inductions for his father and his grandfather the night before, um, you know Mae Young, she's a who, I guess. Mm-hmm. Jerry Briscoe got to be in the Hall of Fame. Interestingly, his stooge partner Pat Patterson was in almost from the very beginning, and and Briscoe had to wait like another twenty five years.
1: Forever. Sorry about that. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. And and we go from Hall of Famers to Snoop Dogg, and he is there with Festus. Now Festus, people would recognize today as doc gallows
1: <laughs> oh i thought you were gonna say fake kane
0: but i'll go <laughs> so uh santino morellas attempts to warn snoop not to get involved with the playboy mania match later snoop just rings a bell which is the trigger for festus to go into crazy time uh, when questioned how snoop got this bell mcfoley arrived and he did some rhyming some isling i guess as you would say to uh to get us out of the segment
1: (laughs) yeah it was an awkward intro it was an awkward exit the whole thing was kind of a little bit of a mess and i think at the time like at the time santino is sort of booked as this italian-esque businessman you know not necessarily slimy or everything and in People, I don't think at this point, had any idea really what he was going to do. Was he going to be a wrestler? Was he going to be a manager? What was his character going to be? Um, and I think they were kind of trying to go through and figure this out. I know in the Raw before this, him and Jerry Lawler had a little bit of a scuffle. Um, so we kind of see that play out in the match later. Um, but he wasn't the goofy comedy character or Santino at this point. when no, we are seeing him here.
0: Correct. Remember. Right, exactly. Okay, so next... Next up is the battle for brand supremacy. And we will, of course, we'll talk about in MAGA in a bit more detail. But um, ultimately, Batista uses the Batista bomb for the pinfall. Kind of a quick win. Um, Here's what Alvarez had to say. No heat. I mean none. Nobody cared. Batista, who has been peaking bodybuilding-wise for the past several weeks, looked like he came out here and was too intent on having a great match. He's trying way too hard, and thus a lot of the stuff he did looked sloppy. Long nerve holds here at the biggest show of the year. Dave made a big comeback, set him up for the demon bomb. I thought, boy, Umaga better jump like a mother here. Well, he did jump like a mother. <laughs> Dave hurt him up like a mother, and the combination was bad news. The sense Dave was sent backwards, completely off balance. Umaga took the best bump possible, and Dave fell on his butt. And although it was botched, it looked all right. Dave got the pin. This was night and day from last year's match with The Undertaker, one and a half stars.
1: Yeah, so this this was one of the uglier matches for sure. Um, It became pretty apparent that the two didn't have a hell of a lot of chemistry with each other early on in the match. And yeah, that finish, if you go back and you take a look at it, it's hard to tell whether Umaga made a big jump and Dave wasn't expecting it or Dave just pulled too hard and Umaga got more of Dave. It actually looks like Dave blows his back out because... Mm -hmm. Umaga goes flying and he's a 300 pound Samoan dude, right? Like these are two powerhouses, you know, in today's age, this would be a strong style match that you would see, but yeah, slowing down the cadence didn't make any sense. Like this should have been beat each other, beat each other, power, move, power, move, power, move, and let's go to a finish and call it a day guys, you know, and, and they got, yeah, it was (laughs) slowed it down in the middle. Like I would have rather had them do three minutes, 90 miles an hour, each of them smashed into each other to a finish, call it a day and move on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not, not going to make the highlight reel for a 24.
1: No. Uh, well, and an interesting thing that too, is it was the, the brand highlight and yet they couldn't find a, a third person to get in the middle. Apparently they didn't want to take any shine away from this match for what these two performers were going to do. So ECW didn't have a way to get a guy in there, I guess. So you know, they downplay that ECW brand a little bit, which at the time, I mean, when we're talking about ECW here, it's still in the middle of its run on sci fi and stuff like that. So it's kind of, you know, more used as a more of a development, I guess, or like an old boys sort of show, there's a little mixture of each. Yeah.
0: And, and we do actually transition straight into the ECW championship. Do you want to talk about Emaga for a bit? Forget
1: yeah, him. so so Umaga, um, early on, his character was actually... He had a lot of work with MLW's Court Bauer. Um, Court Bauer spent a good amount of time kind of focused on the Umaga character and building him out. And Umaga, obviously, Samoan lineage. Um, he's the Uso's uncle. He's, you know, The Rock, Rosie, and, and Roman Reigns' cousin. Um, you know, sadly, we're going to see him... Uh, you know, fast forward a year from now, we're going to see him pass away. Um, and it's this combination of... Um, Soma, which is a muscle relaxer and an, a, a painkiller, um, which at the time was pretty trendy with some of the guys in the locker room. And we'd see a whole bunch of people, not just that, but I think that was a, a combination that might've been Michael Jackson's undoing and, and a bunch of other people at that time. So you have a you know a muscle relaxer combined with a pain reliever and it kind of just shuts down your body. And if you don't have a great heart or you have some some cardiovascular stuff, it's just, it's a death sentence. And this is what we see here, um, which is too bad because You know, he kind of went from three minute warning to, to changing into the Umaga character and, and, and going on a good run and being scary and everything that you would want to see. And, you know, there was a time when, you know, he was sort of booked as the second coming of Yokozuna. He's a big giant guy, but he had a lot of speed and athleticism and stuff like that. And, and, you know, it just didn't, it all ended, it ended way too soon. It sure did.
0: Yeah. One of the, one of the tragedies of the Samoan family, I guess, you know, when you paired with Yokozuna. Exactly all right so we do go to the ecw championship next chavo guerrero is the current champion and he's going to be defending the ecw championship against the winner of the battle royal on the pre-show battle royal on the pre-show we talked about in trivia was won by kane he eliminated mark henry um and i've already been talking about this match longer than the match actually went it was a one move match choke slam pin choke slam pin Chavo I, comes.
1: Chavo comes down. Kane doesn't go down the mile entrance. He comes from behind, choke slam. That's the end of the, ten seconds,
0: match time. That's it. That's it. No stars.
1: <laughs> you can't have a star. I mean, it's a so it's a squash match in the middle of in the middle of the, now.
0: There's all deep. kinds
1: of reasons and their storyline stuff that goes along with why this happened and things like that. Um, but I will say this so if I'm looking overall at WrestleMania, I'm not necessarily looking for the most stars. I'm looking for how is the overall presentation of the WrestleMania pay-per-view put together? Does it have something for everybody? This is a squash match. You can have squash matches in wrestlemania now this one happens to be for a belt so it kind of tells you everything they think about the brand at the time and you know kane's pyro like kane doesn't even hold the belt up he throws the belt off the ground (laughs) summons a pyro and that's the end of that match like armando Estrada was you know blown away at the time like he didn't even know what to do the match was over that quick so
0: and there you go um raven simone she tells us about the wwe's make a wish foundation they granted 50 wishes um somebody from each state i believe it was the was the deal so uh, long history with the make a wish foundation that's kind of the charity of choice i think so yeah yeah they do a lot of work there absolutely okay so match number five is the rick flair versus Shawn michaels match there's tons and tons to talk about here i've got stuff from keller i've got stuff from alvarez um let me run through the match here kind of first and then travis will kick it around um This is is the one that everybody remembers from 24. Charles Robinson is the referee. We see Ric Flair climb to the top rope, and he actually hits a cross body. That never happened, ever. Uh, Michaels missed a springboard moonsault through the announce table, but then connected with a moonsault from the top, top turnbuckle to the floor. Shawn Michaels would hit the elbow drop. He tuned up the band, but he hesitated before he hit Flair with the sweet chin music. Flair grabbed Michael's legs, locked in the figure four, and Michaels had to squirm to the ropes for safety. Next thing you know Rick Flair, brilliance right there. Oh, absolutely. The next thing you know, Flair whips Michaels into the corner. Sean goes upside down. Rick follows up with a chop lock to the back of the knee and then right back to the figure four. Michaels again tries for the ropes, but not this time. Flair pulls him back to the center. Michael then attempts to reverse the pressure by rolling over. He does it, but Flair keeps rolling through. Michaels does get to the ropes. Moments later, Sean hits the sweet chin music for one, two. Jr. screams, is this it? And it wasn't. Flair kicked out. We continue. Michaels screams at Flair to get up. As Michaels walks over, Flair hits Michaels with a concealed low blow. Vintage nature boy. They start trading chops until Shawn Michaels just... Hits him with sweet chin music. Uh, and in the closing moments, Shawn Michaels stands in the corner as he always does, tunes up the band to a chorus of booze. Rick staggers to his feet with a look of 100% grief on his face. Michaels, tired and upset about what he must do, mouths, I'm sorry, I love you. He hits sweet chin music to end Ric Flair's career. Wade Keller reported at the time. What was most gratifying was that in Flair's final match, he lived up to his reputation for being a great worker. With considerable help from co-star Shawn Michaels, Flair delivered one of the absolutely best matches of his career, maybe the best in many respects. It is not charity to rate the match five stars. It was that dramatic and that well played out. It was perfect.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you've you've got Rick doing, you know, So 35 years he's been wrestling at that point, you know, his, his debut was back in, you know, December of 72 with AWA, which is Vern Gagne's promotion up in some town that nobody's ever heard of in Minnesota. Um, and everything that he worked his career off for, we get to see in this match, his, his selling, his spots, you know, even, even the finish, he's punch drunk, swinging at the air and taking a super kick in the face, like a champ, um. It just, it's the kind of way, like, you know, it's, it's, it's Kobe Bryant scoring 60 on his last time out to, to play basketball. You know, it's the kind of finish that you want to have somebody who's a legend. I mean, he's 59. He just turned 59 at that point. Um, Sean was handpicked that the setup for this was Vince had said, you know, every match from here on out is going to be your careers on the line. So he had to, you know, he had to win a whole bunch of matches um, to kind of get into that place. Um, you know, he beat MVP a couple of times and took on a couple of other people to, to get to that spot. And ultimately his last match before that was against Vince at a pay-per-view um, before that. And Sean gave him everything that he could. And Rick gave us everything that we wanted. Um, not what, I think at this point in Rick's career, I didn't, building up to this match, I was really worried about what we were going to see and how this was going to go. I mean, I think Sean was a the the best possible pick. It feels like, you know, in, in today's wrestling, we're seeing AJ fill that role, even though he's, he's not quite as tall as Sean. He doesn't sell quite as much as Sean does. Um, I think his psychology is a little bit lower than Sean's, but I mean, there's a reason why Undertaker kind of selected AJ Styles to do that work. So we're, we're seeing him move into that spot in his career. Um, but yeah, just, just, be- it's beautiful wrestling. It is,
0: you know, and everything, all the little callbacks to like the career, you know, on one hand you see Ric Flair climb to the top ropes and you're like, oh, this is the Ric Flair I know and love. He's going to get thrown off. And, but they throw us off a little bit. He actually connects with a cross body off the top, um, when I rewatched this back and I saw him hit that chop block, I was like, Oh my god, that's like vintage flare. No you know what? I don't I've seen that chop block a million times. I don't think anybody does it quite like Ric Flair. No. Nope. He goes down, hits that chop block, and never lets go of that, that leg and comes right back up into the figure four. And it, it works so perfectly with the moveset that he uses to, to yeah. go to the figure four. He does it's that. Too. So
1: it's so appropriate. We got to see a flare flop, which you know not straight flat on his face the way that it used to because he's a little bit older now. But yep, to the side and in all that, just everything that that Rick could have built into it was there. And the 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 thing that I enjoyed about it is the way they worked it in. It wasn't, it didn't feel to me like a six one nine setup or an old school clothesline. Right. You know, it was built into the match in a way that it was believable and it worked. And it just, it it was it was definitely the match of the night. Um, and to say that you've got a you know a fifty nine year old that's gonna give you that in the middle of the show is is pretty crazy five stars oh yeah yeah without it with that without a doubt I mean you might go an entire year without seeing a match psychology wise wrestling wise moveset wise setup wise finish top to bottom act one act two act three you we might go an entire year without seeing a wrestling match that good
0: yeah. From two performers. And, I, you know, Shawn Michaels, it's Ric Flair. You have all the emotions of Ric Flair's final match built into the match. And, you know, the appropriate teases when they need to be teased. Him kicking out of the sweet chin music was, you know, false finishes weren't quite as popular then as they are now. Right. Um, it's a, It was a big deal. to kick Oh, out. yeah. And
1: you even heard JR J. was calling it like it was over, you yeah. know. And, I, I, you know, again, I think the only thing that could, that, that took away a little bit from this match was they put him in the hall of fame the night before, Yeah. you know, so they kind of foreshadowed that this was coming a little bit. And I, and I think some of that was kind of on purpose because I don't think Rick, well, and, and sadly, it, this isn't Rick's final match. We're going to see him do a forgettable run in ROH. He's going to go to TNA and he's going to do some real messy work over there as he's as he's older his final match ends up being against Sting and you know the 15th of September in 2011 so we're talking 3 years from now so he's he's 62 when he does that and that that match goes short cuz he tears his tr- tricep on a superplex and you know i'm sure if he didn't need the finances like he needed and different stuff like that I, i'm positive he would have liked to walk away like this but rick not dissimilar to undertaker and after listening to all of his stuff you know, I think the company had to force him to be done to a degree too. You know, I don't think he wanted to go and his emotions on his face say that. And, you know, but if this would have kept, could have been the one that ended it, it's, you know, a legacy really, really well done, but sadly he had to go on and do some more, not not as good stuff.
0: You know, it's interesting though, because that's all true, but it's also like almost an ignored fact by a lot in a lot of standards. People when people say what is Ric Flair's retirement match, they're going to talk about this one. Um, all that other stuff it happened, unfortunately. unfortunately but you know, like, yeah, we haven't uh, seen him climb
1: in a WWE ring since then for no. that. You know, in the you know the TNA ROH stuff.
0: Yeah, it happened. It happened, and you can't ignore the fact that it happened. Right. But uh, but this was his retirement match, and you know, for all of, for all uh, intensive purposes, it. It was probably the last good one he ever had. So it's the one that you want to remember. Him by. Certainly hard to beat. Yeah. Um, so Ric Flair, he gets a standing ovation. He, you know, when he finally does get up, Michael's Michael's goes to the back. Flair gets up, hugs his family. There everybody's crying. Um, Flair makes a quiet walk to the back. No, Zarathustra playing in the back. Just the roar of the crowd with fans holding up the signs. Flair forever. Thank you, Rick and Lou, of course. But, um, and that's how the career should have ended, I guess. So, yep. Um, and that's halftime, essentially, for WrestleMania. Uh, that was match number five. We come out of that. We go to the Edge promo I talked about in trivia, and he's talking about Re- WrestleMania six as a little boy. He was cheering for Hogan, his hero, who lost which caused Let- Edge to lose his innocence, and he says, mark my words, all you Undertaker fans out there are going to lose your innocence tonight, too, when I beat him. So, that's the end of halftime. We come back. We have the the WrestleMania 24 halftime show, Pyro, uh, which was really <laughs> random in the middle of the show, just Pyro everywhere, but um you know yeah they really went wild with the pyro right because they
1: had an open arena that they could just shoot things into oblivion all they wanted to so anytime there was a chance to light something off or do some fireworks they certainly took full advantage of it
0: and we went to the uh after that we went to the playboy bunny mania lumberjack match which we talked about snoop being this master of ceremonies he comes down to the mercedes golf cart uh the app the match itself was actually ashley and maria Uh, versus Beth Phoenix and Molina with Santino Morella. Um, Maria maybe had the match won, but Santino pulled her leg uh, when she attempted to come for the pin. That's what brought out Jerry Lawler for the big punch. Um, Beth Phoenix would hit a fisherman suplex for the win. Snoop knocked out Santino Morella at the end, got a kiss from Maria. Uh, And Brian Alvarez says, how fitting that when Michaels and Flair went on in the middle of the show, God waited until the match was over and then smote the power post-match was as fun as the match was bad. So the power went out in the middle of the match. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. Power went out in the middle of the match. <laughs> Lawler says, is the undertaker coming? <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, the, the power is out for a couple of different move transitions, and then they get the house lights on from the side. So we get, we do get the like, there's, there was a reason and Alvarez is exactly right. It was an act of God that happened. It, it's so nice that WWE's past this point in, in where they were, you know, this is like, we're well past the attitude era at this point, but we've got, you know, Snoop dogs driving the Mercedes Benz thing down and he's got the girls following him. Like he doesn't walk down to the ring cause it's a mile and he's got this throne chair and stuff. And just uh, what a, What a, just a debacle and Beth Phoenix is the only one that's like trying to sort of wrestle to a degree. Um, not that Molina wasn't a fine competitor too, but certainly the other side of the team was there because they were on playboy covers in the last 12 months from, from the lead up to the match. So yeah, not the, not the greatest of women's wrestling
0: for sure. Yeah, you're right though. We, we have evolved and I think that what's nice about this is you can look back at it and say, okay, we've come so far. Yeah, Absolutely uh nothing like this would fly today nope. ever. no no so, you wouldn't see this um so factor that out when we do our discussion later about whether the uh whether wrestlemania holds up but randy orton versus triple h versus john cena as mentioned again in trivia wwe did a poll before the match to see who the fans thought would win 52 percent for john cena 40% for Randy Orton or I'm sorry, 40% for triple H and 8% for Randy Orton. So Orton was not the fan favorite going into this uh, despite the RKO shirt you're currently wearing.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't find my CM Punk mic drop. So we're going with the old school RKO legend killer world tour shirt today. Um, but yeah, I was a big Randy Mark at this point and have kind of always been um, and, and it, just going into this match, you know, we've got John Cena who's coming back after an injury that had him out and since September, the year before um, we get him as a surprise appearance in the rumble, which he wins. Um, they end up having a match at no way out. And Orton ends up winning that match as well. Triple H was in some kind of an injury angle coming into this as well. So we've got two, very good contenders and a young Randy Orton who's shot his mouth off a bunch in the locker room many times at this point. And I'm like, Oh, well, it's been a nice run this time with the strap kid, but it's, it's, it's not your time anymore.
0: Yeah. I want to get your opinion on this uh, entrance that John Cena made marching band comes out, plays John Cena's theme music. Um, I thought it was a bit of a dud.
1: Yeah. So live music wwe stuff i i understand why they want to do it they want this big pomp and this bombast thing the the problem is with the school marching band you couldn't get the big avenue that's in the beginning Mm -hmm. so the beat wasn't really loud enough to kind of understand who the hell it was or what was coming you knew the match that was coming because they had monitors and stuff like that but yeah not not great um i can appreciate john wanting to do it um But it would have been, you know, I think if it would have, it would have had the music, the actual music underneath it, maybe it would have came off a little bit better. Um, But yeah, I didn't, his music was such a big deal at that time when it hit and like, he just came out fired up. So not having it kind of did
0: suck. Yeah. I felt it like pulled all the steam out of John Cena. And I think Mm -hmm. what they could have done is had them play a few bars and then have the actual music come out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Even just have them do the loud, do the chorus loud yeah, and then go back to the music and then just have them keep doing that back and forth. You know, that's not to say anything about the performance of the actual band itself. It was, it was fine. It just, you're, you're asking a marching band to do something that, you know, a music producer's doing that
0: isn't, isn't an acoustic thing, you know? Right. So in the match, Triple H hit a pedigree on John Cena. Randy Orton, hit the PK on Triple H, and then he covered Cena for the win. Um, Alvarez said not only was the finish fantastic, but since he was in the pro-Orton section, he had people leaping into the air and clapping and doing the Orton pose. He was overjoyed, and his friend Vinny thought this was the best match on the show, three and three-quarter stars.
1: Yeah, so in the front row of the match throughout the show, we have this coupler, there's a threesome there with a shirt on that says, We Hate John Cena. (laughs) <laughs> so anytime John Cena got any offense at all, they were booing themselves. I always take a look at the crowd and like, I almost did a segment of the five stupid signs that I saw. Cause sometimes wrestling signs are really, really dumb. Feed the yak was one that comes to mind during this segment. I don't know why that was up there, but what was interesting about this match was triple H was essentially the bump taker aside from that pedigree. He didn't have very much offense in this match whatsoever. Most of the offense was on him. And it, you know, it's something being done to him. So he was kind of the bump machine in this, in this match, you know, Orton had some good, some good spots and, and, and Cena had some good spots and stuff, but I mean, I don't know what the finisher count was, but with three guys with a billion different finishers, there wasn't a lot of them. Most of the times that somebody went for a finish for one of the finishers, somebody countered it. So it looked like the three of them had each other really well scouted in the match. And I thought that part of the match came off. Well, the finish was completely unexpected pedigree hit bang Orton hits that hits that kick. And then it's like, wow, completely unexpected. Yeah. Not, not something that I'm used to seeing um, in the programming at that time. And then my mind immediately goes, wow, what are they going to do on raw? Like yeah. you just, like you put Cena down twice now and you did it, the same thing with triple H after triple H won the elimination chamber to get into this spot. It's like, wow. Okay. It was Orton on for a big run here. I mean, he wouldn't be, but.
0: yeah yeah so and that was so that was your first major title of the evening i mean ecw championship was defended but this was the first major title um and then we have the floyd mayweather versus big show match um a lot of nonsense a lot of interference low blows uh mayweather ultimately hit big show with a brass knuckle punch for the win This was a no DQ. So all of Mayweather's people were in the ring all the time. Show was facing them all. Um, Alvarez said this was far and away better than anyone had right to expect. Floyd was great. And as noted elsewhere, he had an awesome time and was saying he wanted to come back. He also got good reviews and was said to be super cool to everyone all weekend, two and three quarter stars. So, I,
1: so, so I would agree with Alvarez completely on this. And I think it's another reason why I, I kind of rate this, this WrestleMania ahead of most of the other ones. I mean, I had to sit through Lawrence Taylor versus Bam Bam Bigelow. And there have been so many times where they brought out celebrities, whether it's Tyson Fury or whoever they decide to bring in. And they just don't understand what they're doing in the wrestling ring. They don't know how to, they don't know how to take a bump. They don't know how to sell In I am not the biggest fan of the Ray Mysterio-sized person against Giant Gonzalez match. I know Vince loves that kind of stuff. I don't love the David and Goliath setup, um, but in this match, we've got Mayweather's entourage looks like it could have been a football team. We have some yeah. giant, giant dudes on the outside of the ring, like guys that could really take a run at Big Show. And Big Show, at the time, is not in the best physical shape that he's been in in his career. Um, and, but he throttles Mayweather, and Mayweather sells like a champ, like a real champ on the ground in a beating and stuff like that. And even when they go to the finish, like it, it's a thing where he grabs the brass knucks off of one of his posse's necklaces that he had it on there hanging from. So like pretty innovative way to decide to come up with a gimmick mid-match to go to 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 do the finish you keep everybody looking kind of strong yeah for a celebrity on mania in a wrestling ring wrestling up as much as he has to against the big show surprisingly good match i guess for what they could have done here
0: yeah absolutely i mean you played it out perfectly when you compare it against lawrence taylor lawrence taylor was a good athlete but he didn't he didn't have the same uh competency about you know the match I heard I have read Big Show gives a lot of credit to Triple H for helping them lay out the, this match and, and save it. So that doesn't surprise me. I think that's probably in, in the, his strong suit. Oh, Played without a doubt. Strength. Yeah, yeah
1: it, he would be. He would have been a great agent for that for that match, as far as that work goes and stuff like that. But you know, even May, Mayweather's facials and his falls and stuff, and he's you know getting squashed and he's getting leg drops dropped on his head and stuff like that. Just not as robotic as what we've seen. Like I, I, I watched you know Kevin Green and Dennis yes. Rodman and all those guys in WCW, and just not as fluid of, of a of a match put together. They just did not. They looked awkward, and
0: and I thought Floyd did really well. Yeah, absolutely. And it is main event time. The Undertaker, his streak against Edge in his championship, um, ultimately. This match ends when Taker uses the triangle choke to get the win, submission win, makes him 16-0. I have sort of the ending sequence here that I want to run through. Um, Taker turns around. uh, This is from Alvarez. Taker turns around and boom, spear from edge. Taker kicks out. Edge went nuts and backed up to the corner to hit one final spear. Taker slowly, dramatically crawled to his feet, Edge nailed it. As soon as Taker landed, though, he hooked his legs around Edge and sunk in the submission, and as God is my witness, this got a bigger pop than anything in the Ric Flair match, anything in the three-way, anything in the Mayweather match, and maybe a bigger pop than even Kane winning the pre-show Battle Royal of Doom. My jaw dropped. Edge fought and fought and fought and fought and then tapped. The Citrus Bowl is apparently very structurally here because it did not collapse amidst the cheering. So, which it's amazing,
1: like not being there, it doesn't sound that way when you watch this back. Um, But yeah, obviously Brian is in the middle of it. And we, we certainly experienced that too. I mean, I think when we were in the middle of Survivor Series in Chicago, the way we took away that live show and when the crowds popped for Walter and stuff like that it was very different than watching it back afterwards on tv Um, and being there live yeah you do get a different feeling of the atmosphere and the temperature of the room Um, I think this is the first time that we see Taker pull out the triangle choke like they don't even they didn't have a name for it Um, when they were trying to call it certainly nobody thought that was going to be the end of this thing you know they thought it was going to be a tombstone pile driver for the win like it you know, what yeah. it always is or a last yeah. ride or something like that. I mean, you know, this is two years removed from, I mean, so takers doing 30 ish shows, live shows, and he's doing, he's still doing the house show loop at this point. You know, I think he does, he works 109 matches this year, the following year he does 90. And then he, then he halves that. And then we see him kind of go away. He's still, He's still in pretty good taker form here. You know, he comes down in kind of the sleeveless Hellraiser outfit and stuff. Um, you know, we see Zack Ryder and Hawkins show up to kind of stooge out for right. for Edge. Um, I, overall, pretty good match. Um, I I thought Edge could have won this match. I, you know, given where Edge was and the positioning it was in the company at the time, like him beating Undertaker to end the streak. I, I wouldn't have been surprised. There was a couple of times when when Undertaker, it was pretty obvious to me that he wasn't going to lose the streak. But this was one of those ones that was definitely you know up in the air at the time. And I think they ended up they ended up turning this into a three way dance, you know, which was typical at the time. At the time we would typically see a champion with a challenger. We'd see three matches that would go pay-per-view, pay-per-view, pay-per-view. And usually one would springboard off of one of the big four. We'd see the next two pay-per-views would kind of culminate to that. And then that's what we see here. We see, you know, the Undertaker and Edge go into a longer program after this. The Undertaker retains and then Edge gets it back on the on the third, the third run. Um good, good match. Um I, I it wasn't I I was thrilled when edge pulled him off for old school. Like, I don't think at the time anybody had really, I can't stand that move in general, but he goes up for old school and edge pulls him down. And then he, then undertaker actually stays with the hold and pulls him through and stuff. So there were, there were definitely interesting things that happened in this match. And for, for an edge undertaker, match and them to finish that way, you know, it's definitely the second surprise finish for me of the night, if you count the way that the Orton um, Triple H Cena match ended. So I thought a good, good showing from both the brands. Um, and I would say if I were to compare the championship matches, the tr- the three-way versus the Edge Undertaker match, I still think, the, I think the Edge Undertaker match was the proper main main, um, just given the way that the match was put together.
0: <laughs> yeah. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, that this is a match the Undertaker could have lost uh edge had a a very impressive wrestlemania record himself i think he was 15 or something in one yeah yeah
1: no no nonsense from him either right so this was you know which is interesting right if this book's the other way are we talking about Edge as, you know the wrestlemania god if he goes through undertaker at this point and kind of goes on i mean obviously if the crowd reacted the way that they did undertaker going over was the right way to send people home for sure
0: yeah and then and pertaining to that finish he brought up that, you know, it was a, it was a surprise finish. Here's what Alvarez said for months and months, he tried to get that goddamn hold over and for months and months and months, he failed, but Taker refused to give up. It was a gamble to finish the biggest show of the year with that move, but it was a gamble that paid off. And for that, like for Ric Flair, I get down on my knees and salute the undertaker. And once again, I remember those times that I didn't vote for the undertaker in the wrestling observer hall of fame. And now I sit here and wonder what is wrong with me? Wonderful match, four and a half stars. So he puts that over pretty big in his uh his post show analysis as well. So
1: yeah, he probably gets another bump for feeling the emotion in the crowd and stuff like that. Like that is a big deal. It's something that you can't for as nice as it is to watch and to listen to the play by play when you're in the live show and you feel you feel the crowd. Like I can't imagine what it's like to be a performer in the ring when that environment and atmosphere kind of comes over, but I've been, you know, shoulder to shoulder with plenty of people when that crowd pops and there's, there is, it is nothing like it. It's, you it's, it's an amount of euphoria that you can't get in a
0: normal, you know, you can't get it in your living room. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and here, here's one final thing from Alvarez before we go into our kind of final thoughts, but I wasn't sure I wanted to go to WrestleMania this year, but then on almost a whim, I just up and bought my plane ticket one day. It wasn't until I hit the purchase button and got the confirmation screen that I got really excited. And I didn't even know what I was excited about because at that point, there was nothing set in stone. No Sean versus Flair, no week long Orlando festivities from numerous promotions, nothing. In the end, I'm so happy to have made the purchase. And now I have this grand desire to go to WrestleMania every year. So, so yeah, that, loved it. Now, that kind of says it all. Here's something I haven't said the whole show. You were there. I, also there <laughs> yeah yeah i was in the cheap seats mm-hmm. far far away and i had a, a slightly different experience than mr alvarez i think he was probably a little closer section i was way you know way way far away
1: now how many manias had you been to at this point
0: this was my second second Sorry. in a row so what did I,
1: you oh you did 23 as well
0: yeah. yeah and i haven't been to one since actually um and and the reason i did i this mania is particular kind of turned me off a little bit was because I really missed the commentary and I think I really missed it because I was sitting so far away and this arena was so enormous that I couldn't see what was going on and, and it was the power went out. So I really couldn't see what was going on, but um, not to take away from the fact that this was a fantastic show. I was so excited to go. I saw Ric Flair's final match um, you know, it and it definitely, in my opinion, holds up.
1: So, Oh, I, I would agree. Yeah. It's interesting, right? When you see that camera pan out in the silver dome, I always used to think to myself, I'm like, man, what the hell does that guy do way, way, way out there? Like you can't, there's no way you can see the wrestlers, right? Like, you know, I've been fortunate enough when I started going to live shows, I had, you know, the finances to be able to get myself pretty close. Not that I hadn't been in a nosebleed, um, before but yeah going to a show like that and being that far from the ring it's it's got to be you know challenging and especially with this show this show we had a nice mix of commentary as well you know you had Taz and Joey Styles were there you had JR and Jim Ross you you know there's it was it was a pretty well put together show but as far as holding up you know to me if if the latter match isn't compelling enough given where that talent is today where everybody there with the exception of kennedy and cm punk are on active rosters and are in pretty prolific spots i mean carlito i guess is, is was just kind of a throw in but i mean cm punk would be a main eventer the day he walked on stage and and kennedy in his tna time was not what he was in wwe but was still a big factor in, in, in a fun performer to watch um it's it's modern wrestling it's modern wrestling with some classic finishes and with some some classic stuff that the rick flair match good luck finding a match that'll hold up to that on on most pay-per-views ever um you know and the surprise finishes for both of the mains were were great as well um you know i i think if i were to look at it and be critical about anything i it would be that there wasn't a feature tag team match on here. I think it's yeah, the only right. real element that's missing. You know, we had a quasi hardcore match with the Belfast brawl at the beginning. Um, you know, I could have done without the women's match and seen a good tag team match because the tag team women's match was not what it, what it could have been. Um, but I think that would be my only real complaint. Um, not that, it, you know, the ECW heavyweight match obviously wasn't anything to, to be excited about and the Batista Maga match, expectations were a lot higher i think that was the only real letdown that i saw on the card for sure
0: yeah but all in all great show um you know when you think about wrestlemania and somebody says wrestlemania 13 you think of steve austin and bret hart when somebody think says five you think of hogan and savage when somebody says 36 you probably think of the boneyard match Every every mania should have at least one match that when you hear the number, it's there. And for me in this one, it's that Ric Flair match. I mean, I mean you can actually forget everything before and after it, but that's kind of like your marker to that mania. That's the match that brings you that says, okay, that was the Ric Flair Shawn Michaels match. It was his retirement match. And then what else happened? And then you go in and look at everything else that happened. That was all really good. Uh, supporting material for that match, I
1: think. And it's interesting, right? Because you know the stakes—the stakes were built into it with the, you know, you go back to 13 in, in Austin and 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 Brett. I mean, that was that was a character-defining moment for Steve Austin. Yes. You don't get a lot of there aren't a lot of ways that you can pinpoint exactly when a character was made, and we see that here. And like in this one, it, it's the best swan song you can ever see for for a, a character. Now, you could certainly make the argument that michaels and undertaker bring it from michael's retirement match a couple of years later because that mm-hmm. match was also really really good um it, for those two performers to to be able to pull off that match but it wasn't put together in the classic wrestling style the way that this one was that's just so old school and it's hard to not use that match generationally to show to people, this is kind of the evolution of where wrestling was, and it is. Um, you don't have the athleticism that we see today from some of the high flyers and stuff like that, but the ring psychology, the bumps, the the facials, just it was all there. And it, you have two of the best that have ever done it before in the ring, doing it at, you know, definitely not their prime. um right. But you know, there's 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 prime physically, and then there's prime mentally and psychology wise. And I think both of them were not where they were physically, but their prime psychology of where they are as far as wrestlers go was at the top of their game. Like, you know, Rick's going to forget more about wrestling than most of the guys know. And Sean's kind of in that same category too. So yeah, just really, really well done.
0: So as we, as we record this in 2021, um, Hiroshi Tanahashi reminds me a lot of Shawn Michaels and I'm, I'm, you know, maybe some people watching this that won't know who Hiroshi Tanahashi is, but in new Japan, he's kind of that guy at the end of his career. He had, I mean, he probably has a long way to go, but he's at the end of the prime of his career. And he had sort of a high flying arsenal that he's dialed back and does more psychology, but he brings out the high flying move, you know, to the floor for the big shows. And, um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. How close are those two, these two athletes?
1: So it's interesting. Body wise, the presentation doesn't look anything. I don't think anything like them because Tanahashi's top heavy. And I think Michaels is known more for his leg work and stuff like that. however, if you look at the way that they come to the ring and you look at some of their style choices for their, for their gear and stuff like that, it's actually really, really close. Um, And you could see some of that. It is interesting though, when we talk about new Japan, Tanahashi, gosh, he might have another 40 years in the tank, given how long they let those guys go and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, not, not dissimilar in styles. And certainly the guy that, you know, career guy, right. He didn't he didn't go anywhere else. He didn't see Tanahashi anywhere else. And, and and Sean was the same way. Sean, he didn't do his stint in WCW. We didn't see him in ECW. We didn't see him in AWA. He came into WWE and went from the Rockers all the way to where he ended up being. Um, and was certainly, you know, uh, just one of the best, even though he had to have his own redemption arc, you know, when when he had to go away for a little bit and sort out his personal stuff. So, yeah, Tanahashi is, is, is likable in that way. I think the biggest difference between the two of them is I – I have a very hard time booing Go ace. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause he's just he's like Tanahashi to me is like Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels, right? If we were gonna smash those two together and, and just make them the face on the face when they were there, I just don't I can't see Tanahashi disrespecting anybody or being the being the nasty guy. But yeah, there's the similarities in style and the way that they put together a match are definitely, definitely similar for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely, but but this was Freak Flair's night, um, and and he he went out uh, in an awesome fashion. The Undertaker continued his streak. Great Money in the Bank match. Um, yeah, top to bottom, gotta love it. Anything else before we get out of here, though, Travis?
1: No, I think we did this one pretty good justice for sure. All right, let me. If tell you us haven't that. seen it, go out and check it. Check it out for sure
0: absolutely let me tell some people about some other stuff going on around the network we have uh, the primetime rundown join join joey jarzenka ian schreier and rob deluca each friday night for the primetime rundown they take you through the world of sports and the show kicks off at 6 p.m on the eastern observer and then the essential wrestling podcast returns every tuesday al carl is the host and then I join with John Smith, John DeCani, Gary Mahaffey. Occasionally, even Travis has been known to show up on that show. Uh, and they have another week of updates and highlights in the world of wrestling. Coverage is 6 p.m. on each and every Tuesday on the Eastern Observer. And then the Daily Wrestling News Show is traditionally Monday through Thursday at 10 a.m. Uh, this is a taped show and it probably hits your feet a little early maybe even a little late depending on how we're doing that week um, but it's traditionally monday through thursday at 10 a.m uh, so do watch out for that show each and every day travis this has been fun wrestlemania 24 mania 24 was a good one and hopefully this year's good as well we'll see absolutely absolutely well everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching. Let us know what you think. Uh, Hit us up on Facebook or whatever. So uh, in the meantime, we'll see you next time.